and welcome into Poke the Bear episode 150. My God, we're almost 50 away from 200, Connor. That's Connor Ryan. I'm Evan Marinovsky. Connor, you are all dressed up. Me and my collared shirt doesn't compare. Connor, what's uh, up? Uh, I'm doing well, Evan. You know, I looked at the last episode of record. I think I was wearing like a sweatshirt. It looked a little, looked a little frumpy. Didn't look too good. So I figured I'd class it up a little bit for episode 150. So happy to be here. I like that. I like that. You're all just dressed up and looking good. Uh, how was DC? Is this why you're, are you, is it true when Scott McLaughlin and I were on Bruins beat, we were saying you were going to announce your uh, run for presidency down in DC on a pro Bruins platform. Is yeah. this the kind of the, the, the makings of that? Yeah. This is Mr. Ryan goes to Washington. <laughs> no, it was, it was, it was good. It's good to, I uh, went to nationals park, great ballpark. I kind of slept on people are always like, yeah, it's kind of, kind of cookie cutter, but I like a good modern ballpark. I, I have a, a special place for Fenway, so I will never like roast it. But like you then see like all these seats, there's like open air, open concourse. You can like actually like turn in in your seat. It's not made out of wood. And you're like, yeah, it's pretty nice. But it, it was good. I, I was like DC. I, I feel like DC is always a spot that whether it's history, whether it's food, uh, all that stuff. Great spot. So I was happy to be down there for a couple of days. I remember when I went to Truist Park last year in Atlanta. Uh, I was shocked at oh my god, I have space in my seat. Like, I'm not crammed next person next to me. I actually have a little wiggle room. So, uh, but I'm with you. I'm not going to trash Fenway, but that sounds uh, great. But now you're back. You are back and you had to go to Portland. Marcelo Mayer called up to double A and watching him and your base. You had to put your baseball evaluator cap on. You took the hockey one off, baseball one on and uh, Portland, Maine. How about it? Nice place it's though. I love Portland. Always, always a great spot. It's always, you get up there. You know, I was only up there for the day, and I'm as soon as I, I look around, I'm like, I could spend probably a couple more days here, whether it's like food, breweries, all that stuff. Great spot. One problem with Portland is in the summer, it is like impossible to like find parking or a hotel. It's like, oh, do you want to stay at like the Red Roof Inn? Five hundred dollars. It's like, okay, <laughs> well, I'm not gonna do that. But no uh, thanks. If you, can, if you can find a spot up there, or you know someone who lives up there. Uh, it is maybe maybe the most. Was clutch New England summer? Dare I say? I mean, Boston is its own thing. Like, I, I'm not including Boston in the list, but Portland, I think, might be the the best go to spot in the summer in terms of food, all that stuff. I agree. It's very underrated because even in Maine, I grew up going to like other places in Maine. It wasn't Portland, and you know the other. What are the other big cities in in New England? You know, you have Newport. You have um... oh uh, Bridgeport, uh, New Haven. <laughs> no, no Connecticut. We're throwing Connecticut out of here. It's gone. Yeah. Uh, there's Portsmouth, New Hampshire, though, and there's some others. That Underrated are... spot. Portsmouth, some good New spots. Nice. Uh, but yeah, no uh, uh, Wor- Worcester, Lowell, another good one. Yes, Worcester, Lowell. I mean, just we're playing the hits at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Portland, Maine is a great place, and I look forward to hopefully getting up there at some point. Uh, this summer, you know who will be looking for a change of location next year is Pierre-Luc Dubois. Again, feels like we're doing this all over again. Pierre-Luc Dubois, uh, only 24, is an RFA. Uh, yesterday in Pierre Lebrun's column in The Athletic said that uh, him, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois and his camp have informed the Jets that uh, they uh, don't want to resign and would like to work together on finding a trade. Uh, and it's interesting, Connor, because he's a center 24, six foot two, 205 plays kind of a game that could fit here. We've discussed this. Um, 
Now, Pierre Luke, uh, Pierre Luke, Pierre LeBrun uh, mentioned that the Canadians, as everybody expected, have been one of the teams that have inquired. Uh, but there are a few teams looking at this. He didn't mention who those teams were. Um, he also said that the Jets aren't in a huge rush to deal him, which means that they're gonna. This is not going to be like a Taylor Hall leaving Buffalo at the deadline type thing. This is, you know, you're, you know, you're getting a guy who they don't need to trade immediately. Um, and also, he could sign anywhere once he's, you know, once he's off his RFA deal. Uh, should the Bruins kick the tires on him? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think in terms of kicking the tires, uh, I think you have to if you're the Bruins, right? And it's um, you look at what he brings, um, and he kind of checks off what the Bruins should be targeting, right? Like we've mentioned this, whether it's trading for a guy like Zaka and signing him uh, long-term, trading for Lindholm. Like as much as the Bruins have been fixated on this win-now window for however long they've had Bergeron and Krejci, they've also you know been able to add these other assets and keep them here long-term as part of that next wave. And if you're able to get a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's 24 going on 25, and you can sign him to a long-term deal, you know what, what's kind of the one missing piece out of this Bruins core for the future, right? You got Pasternak, you got McAvoy, you got Lindholm, you got probably Swayman, right? One thing you're missing is like young centers down the middle. And if you have, you know, two, three years down the road, you have Dubois and Zaka or whoever it is, you're cooking, right? You've got a pretty good core in place, sign long-term, cap jumps up. Like you can build around that next core and have a pretty competitive team. And I think you look at Dubois, is he like a, superstar like an Eichel or like a Kachuk in terms of his impact probably not like I think he's a guy that plays at his best 60 70 points maybe again still a very good player I think where you can kind of draw a little bit of parallels with like the Kachuk trade is he gives you an added uh you know doesn't change our identity but gives you a, a valuable asset in terms of a guy that can give you 30 goals but plays you know a really physical game it's a pain in the ass to play against. Adds that extra little bit of snarl that I think you need in the, the playoffs. And I think we've kind of talked about it. It's like guys like that that make an impact. You're not getting these like big like Nick Richies or whatever these guys are and acquiring them to really change the entire identity of your team or what have you. It's these guys like a Chuck or even, you know, Blake Coleman's not a big guy, but he's a guy that, you know, it's physical you know, lays well, can score you 20 goals. Those are the guys that I think in today's NHL really thrive and add you that extra element, especially in the playoffs. So if you're able to get a guy like Dubois that, that fits that criteria, it makes plenty of sense in terms of why the Bruins should be going after him. I think what we're probably going to talk about next is how, what, what are you going to have to give up to get him? Because it's going to be a lot. And Winnipeg is not really a team that fits, you know, with what the Bruins are probably comfortable with trading any moves this offseason yeah the other thing before i want to, before we hit on the the trade aspect of it what it would take is this a guy you want to give up a lot for yeah. because yeah. uh clearly i mean kind of forced his way out of columbus is forcing <clears throat> his way out of winnipeg now granted in fairness to him uh neither of those places are meccas that you'd want to be in uh i right. will give him that but at the same time to kind of have this mentality at such a young age uh, of, you know, I want to go where I want to go. And, you know, I mean, you, so, you know, it, he wasn't the sole culprit last year with that Jets team, but you heard, um, you heard Rick bonus all season. The compete isn't there. This room isn't, you know, doing what they're supposed to do. Now, again, that goes up to Shifley and Blake Wheeler and, you know, those guys as well, but Dubois is a part of that. And, you know, I know we've kind of touched on it a little, 
you know, would a Bruins kind of locker room with guys like Brad Marchand, I'm, I'm assuming Patrice Bergeron's gone in this situation, but Marchand and, and some of those other guys in there, do they kind of shape him? Do they kind of say, hey, you're going to have to kind of assimilate a bit to this locker room? Um, or is it a problem? Or is he come in and say, no, I want to be in Montreal. I don't want to be here. Because I would assume the, the Bruins are only trading for him if they can get him long term. Yeah, I imagine it's going to be something similar to wherever he gets traded. It's going to be kind of like the Kachuk trade where it's you give up that RFA year, you sign long term, and it facilitates a trade. Because I think every team uh, is very, pretty pretty worried about the fact that he could just go to Montreal in 24, right? So I think any team would like to uh, acquire him with the guarantee that he's going to be there, considering what you're probably going to have to give up to get him. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it is a risk, right? This isn't a guy that you know has a a clean slate in terms of, I mean, we saw how he was when he wanted out of Columbus and it's pretty embarrassing the way he played over those very few games. Um, again, it's tough to remove kind of that, that stink out of these guys that have been in Winnipeg that you hear time and time again, of just how unaccountable, dreadful, whatever you want to say about kind of that core in place. Now, is he the, the main conduit of it? That remains to be seen, right? He's a guy that has joined the last three years uh, on this Winnipeg team. Uh, but you can also then point to, as you said, the Bruins have brought in other guys that have had labels of, you know, maybe being difficult or what have you, and they bought into the system. Um, even look at, like, Eichel when Vegas got him. He was viewed as a guy that was a little bit difficult, but give him an opportunity to finally thrive in a, a I guess, bigger market. But, you know, in a, a team that can contend for a Stanley Cup. A competent franchise. Yeah, I, I think you, you've seen how he's bought into that, right? Like, I think he's fully assimilated into what – Bruce Cassidy and the Golden Knights need him to do beyond just the rack of points, right? Like he's been much better defensively. He's been more accountable uh, playing through injuries. Um, so you hope that, you know, being put in a spot like this, it's not like he's going from all right, Columbus, all right, Winnipeg, ugh, all right, Boston. Like it's an original six franchise that is also pretty close to Montreal. Anyway, you can, you can, you can drive up there if you need to, but. Aren't they uh, making a train? Aren't they? Weren't they talking about making a train route from uh, from Boston to Montreal too? So I, be- you can use I, that? I believe so. He's got that as well. So um, yeah, I think I just saw something recently. Athletic too from uh, I believe it was like the the Jets uh, beat reporter up there that said that uh, Dubois is probably going to give like a list of like five six teams and some of what he's considering beyond Montreal is being part of a Stanley Cup contender too. So again. Are the Bruins a Stanley Cup contender? <laughs> we'll see. But, you know, beyond, like, I, I imagine, what, Vegas, Colorado. Like, if the Bruins are in that mix, then that that is still a pretty appealing offer in terms of where the Bruins uh, view him and, and what he could do here. So, again, it's – I don't think you really roll the dice, but it is something to be very cognizant about in terms of what you're kind of getting in a player like Dubois. You imagine being put in a situation like this – he'd thrive and probably even elevate his game from what you've already seen from him. But I don't know. He doesn't have a lot. It's that's a lot of, I think either optimism or it doesn't have a lot of goodwill working in his favor in terms of just expecting that to be the case and wherever he lands next. No, it doesn't. The, the, the compete aspect of it is sort of uh, lacking. I mean, you could make the case, you know, if the Bruins wanted to make this case to him of like, Hey, we add you. We're a cup contender. Like, you know, if Bergeron's, let's say Bergeron's gone, you go out and get Dubois and Zaka down the middle. You got your guys on the wing. Yeah, you probably have to do some cap maneuvering, but you have Swayman in net most likely. Like, 
I don't know. Maybe that's uh, the pitch they make. But again, like, I, you know, again, this isn't the, the be all end all. But like I was just reading before we came on, like Jay Fresh Hockey tweeted, Matthew Kachuk is the perfect player built for the playoffs, committed to winning. Every franchise could use a dedicated uh, competitor like him. Pierre-Luc Dubois not wanting to extend his pending RFA and seeking a trade instead is gutless. Why would any team want his attitude? I mean, like. There is that element to it as well. I, you know, gutless is a is a big word is a you know big thing to call someone, but you know, I don't know. I think that that's a it's a tough thing to give up. You know, you don't have a lot of trade assets to begin with, uh, especially future trade assets. Um, most likely, I mean, I would assume if Winnipeg, I mean, Winnipeg sounds like they might be headed for a fire sale. Um, you know, so I, again, I don't think they really want guys off your current roster. You're not dealing like. You know, I mean, maybe somehow Olmark goes there if Hellebuck's dealt out. But I mean, if you're rebuilding, you don't want roster guys. You'd want picks and, and prospects, which you don't have many of, which you do not have many um, to give up. We'll get into that in a second. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs, because right now, new customers can get a no sweat first bet for up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Finally, you can bet on all your favorite sports from the money line to point spreads to player props and more. And frankly, that's the best part of FanDuel. You can bet on anything. You want to wager on how many points Jason Tatum's going to rack up in a game? Be my guest. Maybe the Bruins over under for wins next season. Go for it. So bet now on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. And of course, an app where you can get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and get a no sweat first bet for up to $1,000. It's FanDuel.com slash Boston. FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, or Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533 533- Four two in Arizona. Call one eight hundred seven eight nine seven 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 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. Call one eight hundred nine with it in Indiana. Call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. Call one eight seven 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 zero STOP in Louisiana. Go to gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. So uh, here comes the big question. What's it going to take to get Pierre-Luc Dubois? Because it's not going to be cheap. As I said, Winnipeg uh, has time with this. They're not in a rush yet. Now, if this again was a trade deadline, you would have, you know, they would kind of be up against the clock. There's no such thing here. And you're going to be competing against other teams that 
would like a guy like him would like the makeup. Um, what does it take? What's this going to take? Yeah. I mean, that that's the, the issue, right? Cause you have to look at the obvious, right? You're looking at at least one or two blue chip prospects, right? You're looking at Lori Lysel, uh, Merkulov. You would ideally look at a first round pick, but the Bruins don't have a first round until 2025. And I think they have mm-hmm. a second till 2026. So maybe that's something where you have to move an asset or two just to get draft capital to then give to Winnipeg in a trade, which would further complicate things. But then you get to the point now where it's like, all right, the Bruins have guys that I think we've mentioned before that they can move off this roster to especially, you know, save cap space. But you look at Winnipeg and what their what their approach is going to be this offseason is what the Bruins offering fit in, you know, fit with what they're looking at, right? Like if this is a team that it's like, all right, like this core is rotten. We got to move Dubois, Wheeler, Shifley, uh, you know, Hellebuck, what have you. Is, is what's left of that roster really going to benefit from Linus Olmark, who's 30? Are they going to benefit from Taylor Hall, who's 31, going on 32? Like, are those the guys that they really would want? You can look at, like, the team, like the, I don't know, the Kings or the Oilers or what have you, is a team that would really cover a guy like Olmark. Winnipeg doesn't really fit that mold. You know, neither does like a, a guy like Hall in terms of what he can bring. So then like, what guys are you looking at? Like even Grizzly too. Grizzly's 29. Is he a guy that is going to put this rebuilding team over the That's top? That's crazy right? that Matt Grizzly is already 29. Yeah. Like, so the guys that you, you know, even if you're hesitant about dealing them, but the guys that do make sense in terms of the Bruins have to move. Winnipeg doesn't really seem like a good trade partner in that regard. They're probably looking at, Younger guys that the Bruins probably covered as well, right? Like Jake DeBrusque, who again, maybe you you move him because you don't want to give him that next big contract, but still a 30 goal scorer who's you know making pretty good money uh next year at only four million. Brennan Carlo, who's another young defenseman who's locked in long term. Like these are guys the Bruins don't necessarily want to be at the top of their list in terms of guys they would like to move, but you gotta give to get. So you know, if you're the Bruins, you might have to weigh whether it's worth giving up some of these young assets that you hope is part of the next core in order to get a, you know, a center that fits that same mold. So it's a tough call for the Bruins. It's not as seamless as just like, all right, all Mark, uh, Lorai and uh, Merkulov, and, and we're, we got something cooking there. No, it's not going to be the case. You have to give up a couple of, you know, useful players on the NHL roster, I think, if you want to get a guy like Dubois. I also look at it like because as you said because they don't have that first round pick anytime soon to to deal off. You have to instead take a DeBrusque or a Carlo and put them on that list. And does that get it? Like I I don't to me I think a first round pick for them is so much more valuable than Jake DeBrusque and and what he can bring. I mean, and also the other thing is like let's say let's just say I mean off the top of my head a trade package of. Jake DeBrusque, Fabian Lysel, and like Mason Lowry, let's say. It's something to do with that, right? You have depth on the wings. So it's fine if you want to trade one of those guys, whether it's Lysel or DeBrusque or Taylor Hall. But you start doing multiple of them and you lose that depth. Now, again, you're gaining that depth down the middle. But I still think it's important. You want guys on the wing, especially at good deals. And Lysel is going to be entry level. Um, you know, DeBrusque obviously is going to be in need of his contract next season. But for now, it's it's okay. Um, and I'm also like, I, I know DeBrusque can put up 30 goals. But is his trade value enough to be the centerpiece of like a, a deal like this? I in, in place of a first round pick? I don't know. I, I, I have a tough time thinking that. So again, I, I kind of come back to like, I don't know what they would give up like I don't know what would get it done because again it's not even just like is it good enough for Winnipeg 
it's more, is it good enough for Winnipeg to ignore everybody else? Right. And the answer is probably not. Like, there are teams with their first-round picks. There are teams with better prospects, um, better younger players on their roster. So, I mean, again, I think this is a conversation we're going to have for a lot of different guys like Pierre-Luc Dubois, if the Bruins are, you know, if they should trade for them or not. They don't really have the assets to do it. Um, which, again, like, they put the chips to the table this past year, and it kind of goes back to, like, John Sweeney has to get more creative going forward in terms of kind of digging them out of this because – I don't know what on the roster is getting them Pierre-Luc Dubois right now. You would need him to almost tank even more. Like you would need him to just do like, leave all his stuff on the ice. Just like get off, have like a complete meltdown. Like that's what you would need. Like you pick like him Anto- up. Like Antonio Brown, bit. just like waving yes. goodbye. Yes. <laughs> Bye guys. But I don't, again, I don't, I don't know what does it. I mean, are we forgetting? Like, like here's the thing. Would it be Swayman? Would Swayman be the guy? Like, this, so you get into this. I saw Steve Conner wrote a story about this in the Herald a few weeks ago about um, a Jeremy Swayman for Shane Wright trade in theory of like, you know, trade a younger goalie for a, a younger center like that. And I believe Swayman and uh, Dubois are similar ages. Um, so you would, you know, you would have that. Um, and so then you'd say, you know what? We're going to keep all Mark. We'll deal Swayman. It's a RFA for RFA type swap. The problem is Winnipeg has <laughs> Connor Hellebuck. So again, if they trade Hellebuck, then you can, you know, you have options. Um, but me, I, I mean, honestly, I think Swayman is the most, uh, you know, appetizing younger guy on the roster that could kind of supplant a first round pick. Yeah, exactly. That's and again, and I'm not saying to, they should. By the way, I'm not right, saying they should, especially in this situation. But that's what you have to weigh, right? You look at all these other potential. You know, we when we looked at trade chips uh, a few weeks ago, you look at guys like Allmark and, and Hall and these guys, and these guys, I think all Bruins fans like and, and view them as key pieces. But if it leads to Bertuzzi or you're able to retain more players, then it's the cost of doing business. When you have a team that's already up against this cap crunch, you throw at a guy like Swayman, who you view as good right now and a building block for the future, or even a guy like DeBrusque, if you sign him long-term, then Bruins fans are like, I was, wait a second, wait, wait one second. But, that's kind of the hand you're dealt, right? When you look at not only are you, you know, have given up multiple, you know, draft picks over the years and, and you haven't really had a, a cupboard full of elite prospects, but also the fact that, as you said, it's not about just getting Winnipeg to say yes. It's about beating all these other teams that have ton more first round picks, ton more prospects to offer beyond maybe guys that they're more willing to part ways with that are kind of in that 24 to 27 age range. And this 2023 draft is very very good i mean really good and that's the problem is that like teams covet these picks now i mean you you have two you have like basically three or four guys in this draft that would be number one picks in most other drafts you know bedard Fantilli would be a number one pick in most other drafts um leo carlson could potentially be uh, mitch coughs another one and you guys guys you have guys like will smith who I saw this uh, floating around Twitter. I think it was the Reddit Habs tw- uh, Twitter account put this out there. And that someone asked Kent Hughes about uh, Will Smith. Now, Kent Hughes coached Will Smith for a number of years, or for a, a fair amount of years, with the Boston Junior Eagles. So they have a they have a connection. It's ca- I feel like that's going to be the next, like, Charlie Coyles from Weymouth type thing. Like, like around here, it's like, oh my god. Like, Kent Hughes coached Will Smith, which is sick, by the way. Which is awesome and, like... The number of youth hockey coaches in this region that, you know, like uh, Mike Greer used to coach the Boston Junior Terriers and like there's it's pretty crazy. The the connections, um, Martin St. Louis to coach mid Fairfield, all this stuff. This this 
goes with my New England Hockey Journal job. This is what I do during the day. Um, but uh, I, I, it's gonna. I think that's gonna be the next thing of like Will Smith is gonna be like the next. Will Smith can't use comparisons. Gonna be like the next big like you know Charlie Coyle, Weymouth, uh, Matt Grizzlick from around here type thing. Um, but I digress. Point is, draft picks this year are gonna be um, hard to come by, and and I think people really want to get inside this first round as they should, as they should. Um, anyways, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that with uh, Pierre Luc Dubois, where he ends up going, and what it takes to get him. Um, well, before we get to Bruce Cassidy's comments, though, uh, in the athletic recently, the one thing left on Swayman, which I assume we'll touch on later on, it's tough with these young goalies, and we've talked about this a little bit. Looking at like Cal Peterson, who was just dealt, Carter Hart, who feels like he's about to be dealt. Um, it these younger goalies, it's hard to predict. It's hard to project. They look like starters. You don't know now if they deal Olmark and Swayman goes in, he's the number one, and he starts to falter. You start to go, ugh. Uh, is that was that smart or not? Like, and 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 you look at a situation like you have Olmark, who is solid, who you know is going to do the job, going to win the Vesna this year. Like, if you don't deal Swayman for a potential number one center, whether it's Dubois or someone else, the problem is you don't want to be two years down the road kicking yourself, being like, "Damn, we chose the wrong goalie." You know, I think that's one of the things with the the net situation right now, where like. I fully believe Swayman can be a starter. I, I believe you do as well. But that doesn't mean he's going to be. Like, that. that's not a sure bet, especially with these younger goalies. So I think, I don't know, you don't want to be left kicking yourself down the road. Yeah, it's kind of the the challenge of dealing with such a, var- a, a position in hockey where there's so much variance even from established guys. But it's so rare to have a guy that can give you consistently seven, eight years of just elite play. Um and again, I, I, as you said, I think we both agree that Swayman is a guy that can be a, a legit number one and elite number one goaltender. But yeah, you still run that risk, right? The last thing you want to be is the team that does the, you know, shoulda, woulda, coulda in terms of, you know, these draft assets you have, especially when your broom team doesn't have an abundance of them. Like, that's why I think we focus in so much on these guys like Swayman or DeBrusque or Carlo or what have you and uh, what, whether or not you want to part ways with them. Um, but yeah, it, again, it, it all comes down to how the Bruins view the future of their goaltending, right? Um, you look at just this past year of how elite your goaltending was, then it, it you know, stalls out and your cup run falls apart. You know, it, it all it takes is one guy to get hot at the right time. And um, the Bruins probably view Swain as being part of that equation. But yeah, there's no set reason why, right? I mean, again, you ask Toronto whether they should have traded Tuka Rask, what do you think they're going to say, right? Like when they thought they were going to be all set at the position. It's the the dangers of dealing with goaltending, right? Like you got so much variance there. It, very much so. Uh, it's funny. Speaking of goaltending kind of falling out, I saw a tweet today. It was like, name the n- – what's the team that should have won a ring that didn't? And it took everything in me. I was like, ah, oh, too soon. I can't, I can't – no, nah, I can't say it. I can't say it. Um, anyways, Bruce Cassidy, who is two wins away from winning a Stanley cup and getting his name on the damn cup, um, was talking to Jesse Granger, the athletic and, uh, was being asked kind of about the Boston situation and what this all has been to him. And he said, quote, you take it a bit personal, right? But I know the circumstances. They did a good job of changing some things. We changed some things here that helped the Knights. Pete DeBoer changed things in Dallas and helped the stars. You can't beat yourself up over it. Coaches move. I got an opportunity there because a very good coach and Claude Julian got let go. So that's just the way it works. So I think, again, it hits on the point of, uh, I remember a few years ago, uh, I've, tr- I've tried to find the quote so many times and I, I just forget what regular season game it was. It, I think it was like the 2019-20 season. 
And someone asked Cassidy about, you know, pushing buttons and how he was kind of making everything work. And he was like, sometime those buttons won't be working anymore. And I'm going to have, they're going to ship me out of here. And he was always kind of open about that idea of like, this isn't going to last forever. And it didn't. Um, And I think, again, it kind of hits that, like, you know, we've touched on it. Like, I think it says more about the dressing room in there, but I don't think, I don't think firing Cassidy was the wrong move. I just think it, you know, they just, the Bruins didn't respond in their own right. Cassidy's a great coach. Some things just have to end, right? Yeah, I think he kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of just how you have to approach this, right? It's uh, two things can be correct that Bruce Cassidy is a really good coach, but you can also say the Bruins just the time had come for them to move on, right? Like it's it, people always focus on the juicy details of had he lost the room, did the younger players not like him? But I think sometimes it's just the circle of life for coaching in the NHL, but in any other sports as well, like even very established coaches, sooner or later, it's inevitable that even the guys that are fully attentive start tuning out the message when it's the same thing they've heard year in and year out, when it's the same system that only has a couple of tweaks here and there uh, with each new season. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, Bruce Cassidy's probably focused on greater things in terms of, uh, you know, winning the Stanley Cup right now with, with Vegas. But I, I think you look at, how he summed it up. Of course, he's probably upset. Like, listen, it was a dream job for him as being a Bruins fan growing up. I'm sure he's still better. I'm sure he's going to enjoy it very much if he wins the Stanley Cup and gets to rub it in their faces uh, this summer. But um, it, him pointing out the fact that, you know, you replace a guy like Julian who won a, a cup. Pete DeBoer is a very good coach and Vegas moved on to him because they thought they needed to make a switch there. Usually when a team has to make a switch and management identifies where they start, usually is the coach. So, again, it's something that I think you look at how Cassidy kind of summed it up. It it all harkens back to the fact that two things can be right. Cassidy's a very good coach, but I think it was just time for the Bruins to move on and put a new voice in there, and especially just the new systems. Again, it didn't work out in the playoffs, but you can't, you know, second guess or now do revisionist history when I think everyone by November, December was like, all right, I see, like, the change of of how that's impacted this team, The the new way they're playing. It's getting more out of established guys. Younger players are doing better in it. It was working, right? And I imagine it's still going to continue to work moving forward. So, again, the best case scenario here is that both the Bruins and Golden Knights are better off down the road in terms of having two very good coaches leading their respective teams. Yeah. I, again, I I don't think you can go back. I mean, everyone was like, you know, midseason was like, oh, actually, the Bruins probably did the right thing. Like, we were all wrong about Cassidy getting uh, getting fired. We can't now be like, Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, no, 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 no. You shouldn't have fired him. And it's like, no, he's no one ever said he was a bad coach. Like, no one ever said that. Um, except for Bates Pataglia, who uh, was very on the very uh open about that uh back from the 2019 cup final. But yeah, I mean, clearly, like, and you know what? Good for him. Like, how about that? Uh, I mean, what a story that's been, you know, going your first season to to Vegas and potentially win a cup. Like, that's Huge Jack Eichel, too. You have to think Eichel will probably bring it back to North Chelmsford. So the cup will be in Massachusetts um, this uh, yeah, this uh, early summer. But uh, anyways, Connor, I think we've hit on everything we need to hit on. Pierre-Luc Dubois, Bruce Cassidy. Uh, do you want to give, I, I know that uh, game three of the cup final is Thursday night. We're recording this Thursday afternoon. Do you have a, do you think this, this is a 2011 situation where the Bruins were down 2-0 and came back to win? Or do you think this is over and Vegas has this in the bag? I think it's Vegas and five. Uh, I think, you know, I would imagine there's going to be still some more pushback from Panthers. Like they've proven it already uh, in, in this playoff run, but, 
I just think you look at the way that Vegas is playing, just how they're really smothering anything that Florida's been able to do out there. They keep up their game plan and hold their own, especially when you look at how shaky the goaltending has been for Florida. I think it's Vegas. I go Vegas in five. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Vegas wins it. But I will say my uh, my instincts on this play on these playoffs have pretty it's much all been, been wrong. Yeah, I, I've no. been, yeah, it's not great. So a Seinfeld rep- a reference, uh, if uh, if every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite must be right. So maybe I need to say, like, I think the Panthers are actually going to come back and win the series. Uh, but no, I think Vegas probably um, wraps this thing up. Um, I w- I'll say five as well. I think Florida pulls one out. Um, I initially had Vegas in seven, but again, Florida's just been um, not looking so hot, especially in net. That layoff is that layoff's coming back to bite them. Uh, Connor, what can people look forward to from you over at Boston.com and the Boston Globe? Yeah, we're going to have covered throughout this offseason. Again, we've uh, covered the Portland Sea Dogs. We've covered a whole bunch of stuff that's not Bruins uh, hockey. So we're going to have to cover with everything going on in Boston sports. But now as we get to the end of the Stanley Cup final, we start looking at the draft, free agency, all that stuff. We'll really start ramping up here with more Bruins content. So you can find all that stuff over at Boston.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can at Connor Ryan underscore 93. Go do all that. That's Connor Ryan. I'm Evan Marinovsky. You poke the bear listeners. Have a great rest of your week. (laughs) 